Hello, and welcome to the Library Coven, a bi-weekly podcast in which two bookish besties discuss mostly young adult fantasy through the lens of intersectional feminist criticism. Why? Because talking about books is pretty magical. I'm Jesse, And I'm Kelly. And this week we're discussing Family Lore by Elizabeth Acevedo, uh, which in the most simple terms tells the story of two generations of women in the days leading up to the living wake of one of the matriarchs. Easiest way to describe this book, I think. And that was very to the point. I was like, how long is this uh, summer going to be? No, it's straight into the point. Amazing. Initial reactions. Do you want to go first? I actually wrote mine this time. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm giving this book three and a half stars. I'm doing star ratings now after starting it last episode. <laughs> um, I listened to the audiobook, which was narrated by Elizabeth, Elizabeth Acevedo, uh, which is the author, Daniele Rodriguez del Orbe, and Sixta Morel. I'll get into more later, but I'm just not a huge fan of stories that are about multiple generations of families. Um, I think it's very like visceral and hyper realistic um i also think that listening to the audiobook was more difficult for me because the three narrators all sounded very similar like i had to when i looked at it and saw that it was three narrators i was like excuse me (laughs) um so i was having trouble distinguishing between whose story we were following from chapter to chapter um and i've also talked to a couple other people who read the physical book that said they still had trouble distinguishing between who we were following at times so maybe that wasn't on the audiobook but Mm -hmm. I had very high expectations and that might not have helped. (laughs) What were your thoughts? I loved this one. I love, love, loved this one. There were a lot of moments for me where the prose was just like delicious. I was like, just let it wash over me. Oh my God, the words. So good. I agree that the narration was like, could be confusing and like whiplashy almost. Yeah. Like I, I wonder if that would make it easier to suss out in the written format but it sounds like maybe it's still a little (laughs) bit nebulous Um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. even having the physical book I thought that like one of the major redeeming qualities for me of this book was like the overarching feeling of honesty and verisimilitude that Acevedo succeeded in creating and you kind of pointed to this where you're like oh it's hyper realistic and super you know just like visceral like you said and also I thought that we should maybe say the top of this book is not young adult Although I think teens could certainly read and get a lot out of this story. Um, it had like a similar vignette sort of feel to like, oh my God, so stereotypical of me, but I'm going to say like House on Mango Street, Sandra Cisneros. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's like too obvious of a parallel, but I just thought this was, yeah, I, I really liked it. Recommend if you like. Um, I said magical realism. Um, you just mentioned the house on Mango Street. What's that author's name? Sandra Cisneros. Oh, okay. No, I'm thinking of a different author. Oh, Isabel Allende. Mm-hmm. Her books came up uh, quite a lot when I was looking at like books that are similar to this. Um, uh, and I can I had find, kind of forgotten about her books for some reason. I took a Latin American literature class in undergrad which was like a million years ago mm-hmm. now but uh we d- did a lot of we read a lot of magical realism in that class and um Isabel Allende was one that I remembered and mm-hmm. came up a lot when looking for recommendations yeah that's a good one I also forgot about her but she's like a big she's a big deal yeah <laughs> <laughs> I agree like the magical realism the multi-generational families thing so I, my recommendations were um, Cien Años de Soledad, 100 Years of Solitude by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. And then also, I haven't read The Inheritance of Orquidia Divina by Zoraida Cordova, but like from what I understand about the book is that it's like matriarch close to her deathbed or is dying. And then it's like the cascading effects of what happens down the line. So that kind of maybe felt like a more contemporary suggestion. Do you, do you agree with that? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think it, it it spans out to more the family in um, Zoraida's book uh, mm-hmm. because it's not just like the women in the family. And it was interesting to see like, I think it was like three generations um, and like just the consequences of how the, you know, the children were treated and that kind of thing. I, as I was reading this book, I also thought of 100 Years of Solitude too, because I feel like 100 Years of Solitude was like, let me tell the story of like, a bunch of men and make it very confusing by giving them all the same name <laughs> um, <laughs> yes oh my and then God. <laughs> this book I feel like was like we're gonna tell the story of like the women in the family um 
not all the same name. So that made it a little easier. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would recommend those books as well. Um, I, I really enjoyed both those books though too. So Nice. I'm glad that you actually have read the, I, I always feel a little bit off like re recommending or being like, yeah, I recommend if you like it. And if it's something I haven't read, even though I like can do research about things. So I'm glad that you, you co-sign. Welcome to the world of librarianship, recommending books you've never read based on reviews from other people you don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's an art. It's an art, people. It is, yeah. Why did we choose this book, Jesse? This book was recommended by our Patreon patron and one of my besties, Diana. I actually know Diana was reading this book similar time to when I was reading it. So um, I'm interested to hear what she thinks uh, after having read it. We don't always like the same books, but we have a lot of like similar taste in books. So I'm really interested to hear. Deanna, text me when you listen to this episode and let me know. <laughs> How many stars do you give it, Deanna? Yeah. <laughs> time to talk world building in Through the Wardrobe. So this book takes place in our real world, which doesn't happen often in the books we read, at least not like in our contemporary time. Um, and it jumps between the past and DR, the Dominican Republic, um, which they often refer to in the book as the DR, um, and the present in New York, um, like in the New York City area, some in New Jersey. I'm going to be terrible with character names today. Let me just put that out there at the top. So yeah, real world light magic which we'll talk about in our next section but anyways <laughs> yeah the, the settings were so important which feels like another maybe connection to magical realism too about how like the yeah like the Dominican Republic being in the in the campo like out in the like away from mm -hmm. the metropolis you know and then we have this juxtaposition with New York which is like the quintessential yeah. metropolis you know and then there we're yo-yoing between there we're like jumping in space time like between these different is this the past is this the future or not future <laughs> is this the present that was like I think part of the whiplashiness of the book for me but I also kind of like or I appreciate how it like mirrors, you know, when mm -hmm. you're like remembering things. And a lot of it is like memory because we're coming up to like the, the living wake of this floor, who is the main narrator, Ona's mm -hmm. mother. Ona is an anthropologist at a university and she's like conducting like interviews. She's doing like interviews and research within her own family, which we come to find out later in the book. Yeah. Right. We don't really know that that's the premise um, until a little bit later. But yeah, I, I thought it was like, yeah, just like a narrative that weaves together histories and presence of migration and how like you might not be in the DR, but like it's still with you, even if you're in New York and like vice versa uh, for the younger, younger children. And yeah, I just think it's an important stories to tell. And it also mentions the Trujillo years in the in the DR. Are you familiar with this dictator and regime? No, not at all. All right, so I, I, look, I did a little pre-gaming. The Chicago Public Library has a little article about him. His name was General uh, General Rafael Leonidas Trujillo, um, and he was called El Jefe, um, which is like boss or chief, it says in this, but that's like not that good of a translation. Is there a book where he's in there? Is there an Isabel Allende book where he's in that? Probably. Okay, I think that there is a book out there. Did she write anything about Las Mariposas? You might have heard about the butterflies, these Mirabal sisters, these three sisters who like led Possible. this underground movement to overthrow him. I think that there's like a okay. movie or a series out or something about them. Um, okay. But anyway, this guy came to power in 1930 and he was a dictator until 1961. And was like, you know, the typical of like using your secret police, purging the forces like of people you who aren't like intense enough for you. People had to hang a picture of El Jefe in their homes. And so it was like this sort of indoctrination, like the school children are taught to like respect and revere him and stuff like that. He, he changed the name of the capital city, Santo Domingo, to his own name, Ciudad Trujillo, which is like classic, classic. <laughs> um, and he was also responsible for what... Um, a 1937 massacre of Haitian workers because um, the Dominican Republic shares a border with Haiti on the island of quote unquote Hispaniola. Um, uh, and yeah, they're, 
there are estimates of like the death toll of that specific event that ranged from 13 to 20,000 people. Wow. Yeah, which is awful. Uh, yeah, it was called the Parsley Massacre, the Massacre del Perejil, because they would make people say the word Perejil. And Haitians are also French and Creole speakers, so the J sounds different when, you know, a native speaker of those languages says it than a, like, the H of a, like, Perejil when you're, like, a native Spanish speaker. So apparently that was one of the, like, litmus tests that they used to, like, kill people or not. Um, so, yeah, just, like, awful. Wow, bring it in the history. You love a background. <laughs> I do, I do. But you'll also be shocked, slash not at all shocked, to hear that the United States was, like, into it. Um, this is, like, mm. peak Red Scare years. Like, <laughs> anti-communism. So, obviously, they want whatever footholds of power they can have in the Caribbean, because Cuba's right there, you know? So, anyway, that's that's Trujillo. Um, I think that's, you know, important context, because that's, like, the... I guess, soup that all of the older matriarchs in this family are growing up in. And then they're leaving. Yeah. Some of the, some of the background about what was going on there. Thanks for providing that historical context. Of course. Of course. Yeah. The, the geopolitics are definitely complicated. Let's discuss all things magic. There are a lot of different kinds of like magic in this book, but I would say it's more person focused than being a magical world. And I think that may be an aspect of magical realism. Like I said, it's been a long time since mm-hmm. I've been, you know, taking classes in these things. Um, but it was just interesting because it was like uh, all the women of the family seem to have their own like kind of magical powers that was like just very specific and like to one thing with the exception of Camila. Yeah, I I don't think that she had a magical power. She was like the one who was like, I, she seemed to like come in at the end of the story. And I was like, where did you come from? Oh, she was the rich one, right? Yeah. The, the yeah. youngest daughter. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she came in all of a sudden. And I was like, what is going on with you? <laughs> and you can tell that she feels like on the outs because she's what the yeah. person who doesn't have a power or whatever. I actually found a quote that illustrates what you just said. It's on track 13, seven hours and 56 minutes in. No, seven hours and 56 minutes left of the book, not in. Yeah, I think this gets to your point about magical realism has like a uh, a less defined like magical superstructure or, or it's just like less obvious, I guess. So here's, here's a quote. Her mother's magic, her being Ona, her mother's magic, like all the magic of all of us who have a bit of uncanniness is not like white people's magic in the movies led by ritual called upon granted in a ceremony of smoke and candelabras. It is not an orderly system like how fantasy novels can describe the exact structure of where and whence and thusly the women in my family get struck by an unknown lightning rod charged with a newfound gift that is unique unto itself, but it is unlike that aunt's or this cousin's or my mother's. For example, I was eight years old when I realized I had an alpha vagina which I thought this is a perfect place to end the quote. <laughs> um, but does that kind of like get to the point of everything that you were kind of describing? Yeah, like we don't see like a bunch of other people within the world who also have magical powers and like meet up and oh my God, there's this like underground society. It's just like some of the women in this family have magical powers. They're very specific. No one else can do those things. <laughs> exactly. And it doesn't seem like and it's like up to you to know what the quote unquote gift is mm-hmm. or your power is. And like, but there's not like instruction about how to use it. There's yeah, you know, kind of something that Ona seems to be like reconstructing for herself is mm-hmm. all of these different narratives of power and how their family uses their gifts and stuff. So yeah, some of the powers are Floor, who is the person who is going to be having the living wake that's ona's mom she like dreams about and has like premonitions about death like the whole like teeth disintegrating in your mouth shtick and pastora who is one of the ants knows when someone's lying which would be like a pretty useful power let's be honest yeah a hundred percent ona's magic vag obviously yep yep (laughs) these scenes with which i thought hilarious tia redacted because (laughs) not allowed to say her name tia redacted Mm -hmm. And this whole idea of se montaba, which like montar, you montar un caballo. Like that's how you ride a horse. So she like gets oh. ridden by a demon or something. Like she gets possessed mm-hmm. would be the, that's the translation mm-hmm. I would use. But yeah, those are, those are just some of the, the power, powers. Matilde is also an amazing dancer. I would put that in here, even though it's like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I think that's can be pretty magical. 
Yeah. If that if you like that, then it's perfect gift. If you're like, I don't even like to dance, then you're like, man, this I wish I got something better. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, um, yeah. So strange, very specific powers. Ona's was like, I was like, I don't know that this would be that useful, but we're we're rolling with it. <laughs> Now we're going to talk about conflict, villain, and good versus evil in our segment, Get Me Kylo Ren. I don't know if there are any like specific villains here. I was kind of like thinking back and there's like a lot of like maybe miscommunication or like the difficulties of communicating between generations. Mm. I don't know. What do you think? Oh, I like that one because it seems like Ona's like dancing around this like, how do we get the family lore? Like, how is it passed down to us? And there's a lot of mechanisms that like, make it so where people don't have direct connections or conversations and they don't like talk about mm-hmm. sex or they don't talk about magic or they don't, I don't know. Um, but we're, all, we're also only seeing like snippets of these people's histories. Yeah. So yeah, maybe that like miscommunication or whatever sort of like, I don't know, for lack of a better word, trauma is keeping people from like really connecting in those ways. Although it seemed like, you know, everyone had yeah. very deep, meaningful connections in the family. I would say something like i'm gonna be like on the bullshit again of being like colonialism is bad but like i think i'd say (laughs) the compounding factors that like lead to such desperation that parents enter children into indentured servitude like this was pastora's story Mm -hmm. and how she was just like so unruly but people didn't listen to her version of events and so they like set her sent her off to live with tia redacted and be like an indentured servant those parts were really hard to read yeah uh 100 and I would also probably say the United States. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for, I don't know, propping up the Trujillo government and for just being generally bad. <laughs> yeah. Well, what else is new? <laughs> okay. Onward. Let's uh, talk about representations of race, class, gender, and ability. This is our segment about power and bodies and how they relate. Um, this probably could have gone in shipwrecked and I put it in one does not simply, I think because of the complicated nature, nature sometimes of like mother daughter relationships. Uh, and there was a lot of that in this story. Like, what do you tell them? What do you share with them? Like how you were treated as a child and how that comes up later when you're an adult and can affect like your relationship, even though sometimes parents seem to forget like how they treated you as a child and how that might affect how you treat them as an adult. Mm-hmm. Side eye, a hundred percent. Side eye emoji. This was like an interesting aspect of the story because we had so many mother daughter relationships going on, um, or like even sister to sister, cousin to cousin. So yeah, this was just like really stuck out to me as like a big part of the story was like these relationships between the women within the family. So not just mother daughter, but like the relationships between women in a family more generally. Yeah, there are so many like nuances and just like little scenes that exemplify you know they're just like little crystals Mm -hmm. you know little moments that have crystallized that kind of give you a sense of of these people's connections to one another but yeah they're they're not simple there's definitely like fraught and complicated in addition in a way that I don't think we normally get in YA the parents are either the villains and they're very bad and you're like oh it's very black and white Mm -hmm. um so I, I would say this is one of the like upside sometimes of reading adult fiction is that like sometimes there's less murkiness especially with the relationships between parents I think when you're younger sometimes you prefer those black and white because it's easy to see your parents as like a villain or like as you know inherently good or whatever Um, so it it was a nice change of pace to have a book where it's like well they weren't a great parent but I can see how like you know they were doing their best and like honestly doing their best not Mm -hmm. just saying that Um, so I, I did appreciate that aspect of the story where they're like you know some parents aren't good or bad they just have good and bad aspects to them you know and like like I said they're doing the best they can (laughs) totally that's such a good point yeah it definitely like the novel is doing work to humanize these people and yeah like the a scene that comes to mind that kind of illustrates what you're talking about is like when like Floor is talking to Ona about like the snake situation experience Mm. that she had in her past and Ona's like that's not real that couldn't Mm -hmm. have happened snakes can't I googled it and snakes can't regenerate their heads onto their bodies and then and it's just kind of like these you you cut it's almost like a misconnections post on Craigslist right like a moment where 
like they they just like couldn't meet each other at the level that they needed yeah. to meet each other at or like ona being like you need to work through do hashtag self-care or whatever and the mom mm-hmm. is being like yeah that looks different to different generations yeah. and uh just because like i don't use your hashtags or like the same words as you doesn't mean that like i am not doing this other version and also like that's easier for you to access maybe growing up with like being born in the u.s or you know different Mm -hmm. things like that um yeah just is i agree to your with your point that it's just like it provides nuance the adult lit provides nuance it's more complicated yeah less black and white for sure there was like a lot a lot of pressure on women in this book to have children just like so much pregnancy and repro stuff like in general I was curious when I was reading it I was like curious how Jesse feels I think I was mostly just like annoyed but this is coming from like a cultural background that I'm not a part of uh or super familiar with so you know obviously some other cultures are going to have a bigger pressure on women to have children I think and not like be very accepting of people who don't have children I think it's a little easier for me because on both sides like my family my husband's family like we have so many siblings and they had kids so like there was never any pressure Mm -hmm. Um, but because I don't want to have kids I was like oh my god this is so annoying like and it's easier to understand it like from the older generation like Flores generations um, of sisters because like I feel like it was much less acceptable, but once we get to like Ona and what's her cousin's name? Yadira. And they call her Yadi. Oh, Yadi. Like I was kind of like, oh, there shouldn't be as much pressure on y'all to have kids because like we're in a new time. But I do think sometimes those things happen like from generations. And like I I do see it from like extended family where they're like, when are you going to have kids? Or like these people were here like putting new appliances in my apartment and they were like oh when are you gonna have kids and I'm like well I'm not um <laughs> I'm allowed to change my mind on that but I'm also like You're like this is my cat Lainey yes 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 <laughs> so I don't know that part to me was just like annoying and it's and it's funny because I was talking about like the mother-daughter relationships like more gray less black and white mm-hmm. in adult versus YA but this is one thing I do appreciate about YA is like I don't have to deal with people trying to convince women that they should have children um (laughs) and so like this is part of the book I was just like "Mm, don't really appreciate this um I'm tired of hearing about trying to have babies (laughs) yeah I guess it's like it's like more of a personal bias I guess maybe I should just would say it that way I don't know um for Mm -hmm. me about just like yeah like if if it's a thing you're not that into it's a big part of the book like on a multi-generational level and like they talk I mean I appreciate the representation of people who's like trying to conceive like fertility and pregnancy or whatever but um so yeah we got and and like the matilde's experience not being able to have children yeah and that was something that she really wanted and it's like you know from the outside you can't tell if it's like this person's societal societal pressure means that they want it or if it's like a thing that they you know viscerally do want for themselves probably a combination since we don't you know we're not fish out of water you know we Mm kind of yeah, there's there was a lot about this. I'm not sure that I got the the whole pressure vibe, but it was like very present and yeah. just like a lot of this is what people want. This is what one does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe because we saw like the Matilda not have like the feeling maybe like a little bit of bitterness and grief and yeah. sadness for not being able to have that experience. And so that was like also kind of like a haunting presence throughout the narrative and then we find out that ona is like probably pregnant at the end mm-hmm. i didn't know whether yadi was interested in that i mean she has her like vegan restaurant so yeah. that's kind of a baby um <laughs> but yeah this was a very a very present part of the story and i know elizabeth acevedo just had a kid so oh, okay. i, I wonder if this book was gestated at mm-hmm. a similar time as her own yeah. baby you know what i mean so like i don't want to like poo poo it and at the same time i'm just like if this is a hard topic for you then then maybe uh skip this book until it's a little bit less of a hard topic yeah and i think it's hard too because like this is like one of those things where i'm like i don't want to read books that are so much about this but that doesn't mean that other people don't where this is one of those times where i'm like oh it's just not my thing um there was also a lot um like content warning like there was a lot about miscarriages in the book which i know can be really difficult um and i think the statistic is something wild because we don't talk about about it very much but like one you know one in four people who get pregnant will have a miscarriage at some point and so it is good to have that in the book in so much as like it, I think it will probably make people feel less alone um knowing that like yeah 
you know, this, these things happen, but yeah, for me, I'm just like, Oh, I don't really want to read this. I'm not really interested in like having kids or whatever. Um, but I do think it's good to like kind of normalize the difficulty of trying to get pregnant when that's something that you want. Um, and how, you know, sometimes it takes time. Uh, it can be hard. Um, yeah. So I, I did think that that was a good thing to have in the book. Uh, cause sometimes I think stories can just like focus on the good parts of being pregnant and having babies. And then, you know, people who are struggling with that. Yeah. Romanticize it or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. With Anthony Ant, uh, Yadira's ex-boyfriend from adolescence, uh, young adulthood, he was incarcerated. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see him getting out of prison and then him and Yadi reconnecting and Yadi figuring out what she does or doesn't want and the whole like grief process about of like incarcerating children and how it like shouldn't be a thing and I was just you know glad that this experience was represented in the novel I thought it was done with a lot of compassion especially like the bodega checkout scene Mm -hmm. where he's like so proud of himself for figuring it out but then he gets hassled by people because like he doesn't know her pin pin number on her like debit card and I was just like oh my gosh It, it was just like a perfect distillation of you know, all of the mind fuckery that goes on when you do this to people. Yeah, good to have included. Um, We also have postpartum depression represented, which I was like, yes, another thing about the pregnancy stuff, like getting back to the point of like not romanticizing things. Like, Mm -hmm. I think this might be the first time this has come up for us on the show. I think so. It's making me think that like maybe all these fraught relationships in YA that people like kids have with their parents, like they're not talking about things like postpartum depression that could, I don't know, mm-hmm. really affect people's relationships and how parents treat their children and how they're able to like care for themselves or not. And then whether or not that creates resentment or distance or intimacy on the other hand. And yeah, I just thought that this was, um yeah, another important thing to have in the book because it's a hundred percent an experience that a lot of people have regardless of their gender yeah Yeah. I was just like let's more of this I think this is really important to to have in the literature that's that's getting released and it normalizes the experience Um, I think especially with dealing with depression people it's easy to feel like it's you're the only one and no one else you know and sometimes I think it's because we don't really see enough of it um, like in our literature or in our you know the media we consume so yeah good good thing to have um, in the story especially one that talks so much about pregnancy omg what do you think of the poop section <laughs> it got so real it got so real uh, you know what i'm sure for some people they're like oh my god like what is going on like why is this in here this is gross but for me that just seemed i was just like oh yeah like because i have ulcerative colitis i keep track of every bowel movement i have every day like the consistency the cut like all these things so when i go into the gi doctor i can be like here i know you're gonna ask me is there blood is there mucus what is it on that scale from one to like seven and i'm like here's my calendar export to excel here you go (laughs) yeah (laughs) i was like this just seems normal yeah that's fine (laughs) (laughs) i know i was like we don't talk about poop enough on this podcast even though it's like i mean obviously a part of every person's life but at the same time it's like oh yeah two people with ibd i was like yeah this uh this definitely hits home and the whole like (laughs) it does give you a lot of information about how your system is doing you know what I mean and then the inputs really do affect the outputs and I was just like a hard relate on this poop section (laughs) yeah 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 it's funny because I didn't even like register to me until I just saw you and in the notes I was like what poop section like I don't remember and and I think it just felt so normal to me because you know that's my everyday life and I was just like yeah okay cool 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 you're like yeah this is just a, ten- a thing that I pay attention to like it's just something that's yeah. on our radar versus like I imagine yeah. this moment would probably be like well for other people who aren't who aren't used to like thinking about this all the time yeah which maybe this is a good time to point out that more people should pay attention to their poop because when you notice severe changes in bowel movements you should go to the doctor because um, your bowel movements are going to be your first signs of like obviously irritable bowel disease, but also like colorectal cancer. Um, And they are seeing instances of colorectal cancer happening um, in younger people, like people our age, obviously we're at a higher risk anyways. Um, So yeah, keep track of that stuff. If you see blood, if you see mucus, go to a GI doctor. Um, If you see a lot of blood, go 
as soon as possible um, and get your colonoscopies when your doctor tells you to. Um, it is not no. fun. I have had over 10 of them. I think I've had like eight. 18? Yeah. What? How old am I? Yeah. So I've had at least 12. Oh my God. At least 12. But some years I had two. More than one per year since your diagnosis. A couple of times. Yeah, I know. So if you have to get a colonoscopy and you want some real good tips, let me know. I got... I got some good ones. <laughs> Jesse has learned me so good on this. Yes, she she does have the tips. I can confirm. I have not had 10 colonoscopies, but I've not had zero colonoscopies and can confirm. And it, also, if you like work in the medical field, don't tell someone that they're, quote, too young to be dealing with this yeah. or anything like that. That's happened to me a few times. And I'm just like, you can fuck all the way off. Yeah. I did not ask for your opinion as I'm picking up my colonoscopy prep I don't know, kit from the pharmacy. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, OMG. Keep those to your damn self. Exactly. Yeah. I was 18 when I had my first colonoscopy and I will have them for the rest of my life. So definitely stay on top of that stuff. <laughs> and then, I mean, you would probably know better than, than me, but I feel like there's also like racialized components that mm -hmm. are risk factors and also like the, yep. whole, the concept of minority stress affects, you know, how people experience the world and especially like GI symptoms and then also yeah. histories. If you have histories of, you know, colon cancer and stuff in your family, it's definitely important. Yeah. And good thing to like keep track of both of my grandfathers died from colon cancer. So like you should also be pay attention to your risk factors. Obviously my risk factor is higher because of my IBD, but also because my grandfather's had colon cancer and then on top of that, because I'm black. Um, so, you know, right. just make sure you're giving your doctor as much information as possible so you can make the best decisions for yourself. <laughs> Everybody poops. <laughs> when they tell you about their poop, listen. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Finally, it's time for Shipwrecked, a segment about sexuality, asexuality, sex, romance, and relationships. And sometimes we take liberties and do some shipping of our own. I wrote nothing here. Uh, yeah, Jesse wrote nothing. <laughs> I have no ships. So we talked about mother-daughter relationships, family relationships. So I'm like, okay, that's all I got. <laughs> that's all I got. And so then I just put in a bunch of things and I'm like, oh, how uncomfortable can I make Jesse on air? <laughs> Ooh, yes, no, I kidding. can see. <laughs> Yeah, we had like representations of porn, the the scene mm -hmm. where the Bluetooth, Ona's Bluetooth is connected and she's like watching. I was like, how do you not realize? And stuff. Oh, yeah. And then her, so her partner, she had just had like a fight with her partner and oh my God. I appreciated how there was like, just, I don't know, talking about it. Like yeah. it's a part of life do you know what I mean and and not like shaming the different fetishes or kinks that different people have and and how it's like complicated right because like Ona's first introduction to porn is like when she walks in on her dad watching it when she's a child you know yeah and but there's like no conversation about that or about how like maybe not appropriate like within her family yeah. I mean like the yeah. the book is obviously being like this is problematic um and at the same time it's yeah. like it is the history of this character right Mm -hmm. so yeah like what happens when it's not normalized or something open and talked about you know it's like has to be something that's like in the in the shadows and and that has definitely repercussions the sex scenes I thought were you know good yeah yeah I thought that they like made sense within the context of the of the story it's an adult novel too so like they could be as graphic or as non-graphic as they wanted to be mm -hmm. we had Matilde and her like serial cheating cheating husband and yeah. um, we, like, we kind of like got a little bit on the inside of that dynamic, which I appreciate. Um, it wasn't like mm -hmm. trying like stereotyping people. It was just like, being, yeah. oh, this is a human experience. And it's actually like maybe not easy for people to to decide on it, like a different constellation of relationships for themselves. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I appreciate how Matilde like throws all of his shit out at the end. You know, she's mm -hmm. like, mm, I'm living my own life. And so like, yes, character growth. We With love her to boobs see hanging the out the window. I was like, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, I don't care anymore. Nothing to hide. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciated that there was like discussions about desire as a person who's like postmenopausal. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, they talked a lot about menopause too in the novel, which I thought like, yes, yeah. I think that's that's important to have representation of that as well. 
Yeah, I think these were like instances where I'm like, this is part of that like visceral feeling of the story. Like all of this was hyper realistic and not the kinds of things mm-hmm. that you get in like a romance novel. And I'm like, I would like the romanticized no. version, um, which is fine. That's just my thing. Um, but, you know, right. it's good to have a, like a realistic representation. But I'm like, I already know these things. So I would like romance. <laughs> And you're like, in my spare time, I want to astral project into a land mm-hmm. where <laughs> everything works out. Everyone's happy at the end. And the three act structure and all of this. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I want HEA every time. Please and thank you. And uh, make it nice and pretty. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. This is a good segue then. Um, Because we're moving on to Kill Your Darlings. Writing style, narration, characterization, plot structure, etc. I put a few quick things above your long things. My book. (laughs) So I will start out. I kind of mentioned this at the the top, I think, in Through the Wardrobe. But there was like a lot of space-time jumping. Quite the pace. Like I was never bored. Maybe I was a little Mm -hmm. confused at times, but I was never bored because there was always something happening. I was always like trying to orient myself in space time. Like, where are we geographically? Who are we with? Uh, What's going on in their life? Um, So I appreciated the the pace of the novel for sure. Yeah, it was good. There are also like so many Easter eggs for those culturally in the know. If you're like from those cultures, I'm sure you caught a ton. Um, I, you know, as an interloper, caught some stuff. Like uh, the Walter Mercado mention was is one silly example that I can think of off the top of my head. But I was like, oh, yep, Walter Mercado. Love him. He's very weird. He was like an astrologer. Do you know who he is? No, I didn't get any Easter eggs. So <laughs> as someone very outside. <laughs> Walter Mercado is this like famous astrologer. He's very, um, he's a little like strange different looking he's had a lot of plastic surgery totally queer like Mm -hmm. started wearing like leopard print floor length capes tons of jewelry Mm -hmm. and he was like an astrologer that was on tv yeah so everyone would um like they would you know turn on the tv and watch walter mercado um so he's given like horoscopes and different things like that but there's a um a netflix documentary about him that is actually really interesting um, I will put the link in the show notes. But yeah, his his whole tag was mucho 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 amor. So yeah, oh. he was he's like a, a kind of like a pan Latin American cultural figure who he died not that long ago. But yeah, okay, he's very cool, an important an important guy. Um, okay, I have like a really long one, and I broke it up into two, but they really go together. So <laughs> I'm ready. Lay it on me. Okay, so I mentioned this in the beginning, but I think listening to the audiobook might have taken away some of my enjoyment um, in the book. Um, there was good about Spanish spoken in the book, which I think is great, um, because but because I was listening to the audiobook in Spanish, like my Spanish is not very strong, like at all. Um, I couldn't look up things, what things meant in the same way I can with a physical book. There was like less hand-holding than I think you normally have in like a YA book where you can really get what you need to from context clues. And because the narrator sounded so similar, I really struggled to know who we were following in different parts of the story. Um, and this was really hard because there were so many different characters. Um, and e- like each chapter wasn't labeled with who we were following. Um, so some books, for me at least, might be better if it was a physical book than audio. Um, but like I think a big part of that was... J- like I normally love multiple POV stories, but the focus as we move between characters in the story wasn't like focused in a way that immediately told me who we were following. Like it does in some other POVs, even if they don't like label it at the top. And that was really hard for me. Mm-hmm. My other thing is that I have read the poet X. It's the only other book by Elizabeth Acevedo I've read. And it's like one of my favorite books of all time, like bawling reading that book. It's so good. It is so good highly recommend so I wasn't thinking her book would be so adult and I think the writing of this story is great but I really don't think I like slash enjoy books that are like this visceral and realistic about adult life I find life to be difficult enough on its own that I don't really want to have to like prepare myself mentally to read these kinds of stories because they're not really very uplifting happy romance novels that I like normally read um there's nothing wrong with these kinds of books. Um, it's just not really my thing. So some of my complaints with this book might be from having like such high expectations. And then another just because it's like not really my genre, which I think is totally fine. Like 
every book their reader every reader their book so it's fine it's just not my thing and that's okay because I just want to have fun when I read and I need to be like in the mood to to read something so like visceral and real and I think I just wasn't there this time fair enough yeah, I didn't I didn't think about that as the the like bilingualism potentially being inaccessible for some folks. But yeah, that's a good point. I didn't think about that. Well, and I think it's really hard if like your only option is audiobooks. Like I don't really know what you do. <laughs> Fair point. Yeah, there there's like not a glossary or things like that. There's mm-hmm. like yeah, like you said less less maybe scaffolding and mm-hmm. hand holding like you said. But yeah, and and it, there's definitely like it's dialect, it's slang, it's like the Spanish that people actually speak, yeah. you know. So it's not like textbook uh, Spanish, and and also like depending on your level, it's hard to like tell. Like I'm kind of just past this level, this this point in German where you're like hearing something, but you can't necessarily understand what all the discrete words are, which yeah, would maybe exactly. give yourself the ability to get a clue or be like, oh, I recognize that one word and mm-hmm. I know that it's in this context of this discussion. So I can be like, okay, that's, it's probably about this. Yeah. But yeah, that would, um, if you're not at that level and you're listening to an audiobook, it would be really hard to understand what's going on. Yeah. And at the same time, I'm so glad it was bilingual. I'm glad that there's, you know, they're weaving this in and yeah. they're not necessarily including like a footnote with a direct translation. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? just want to echo that the poet x is an incredible book and if you haven't read it highly recommend yeah very very good it's a uh one of those um novels in in verse so i love i love a novel in verse one of my faves it was the first one i ever read so um i'm really happy with it it was so good highly recommend okay real talk oh did you i was like i don't see anything i put a question in real talk um, yeah, it's on the next page. If you were an anthropologist of your family lore, like Ona is, who would you want to talk to and what would you want to talk to them about? I would definitely pick the like, black side of my family because like we had to do 23andMe to kind of like figure out where we're from. But I didn't realize like, um, so part of my family is from Sierra Leone and I didn't realize like um, that doesn't tra- trace back as far as slavery. It was like in more modern times. So that was interesting. And I only learned that through like 23andMe. And there's just like lots of things that my family say, like a lot of black families. um, There was like this um, narrative that we were part indigenous. And when I did the 23andMe, that was not true at all. Um, (laughs) So I just kind of like, it'd be interesting to like see the family history like through that. Cause I just don't know how that happens. Like there's some things I know about my grandparents, but that's about as like far back as it goes. Like I know my grandma, like she worked in strawberry fields and like at a nursing home, like, in Virginia, which is like wild um, to me because that wasn't that long ago, but I don't know. So yeah, I would just pick that side of the family because I think there's just so many unknowns and probably that's the case for a lot of black families. Yeah, fair enough. And would you want to talk to them about like your your history or, or like... Oh, for sure. I don't know, like ask them about these like stories that have been passed down and like what's the deal or their own life experiences, like what sorts of things would you want to know? Yeah, just all of it, because it, I, I think it's just really, so, like, I grew up spending a lot of time with my grandparents, which was really great, but I was young when my grandfather died, so, like, you don't get to ask all these questions, like, um, he was in the military, I don't know if he, like, used the GI Bill, like, I don't even know if he went to school when he came back, like, I know my grandmother didn't finish high school, and I just, like, it would be just cool to know, like, I don't even know how they met, you know, probably at church, because I think they went to the same church, but it would just be cool to, like, do that, but also if you could go back further, because I'm like, where did some of these, um, like, stories start from? <laughs> Totally, totally. Also, just because it didn't show up on a 23andMe doesn't mean it's not true, obviously. Um, Yeah. But it was real interesting to do that because I was like, wow, I didn't know we were from these places. (laughs) What about you? I think I would want to go back further in time. Yeah, talk to some some various, various ancestors who were... I don't, I don't, cause, okay. So there's, there's a long story. It's going to be the autistic long form. I promise it'll come and, and there will be a bow wrapped around <laughs> it at the end. I promise. So the other day, my partner uh, is like, you got this really weird package in the mail. I'll send you pictures because I took pictures to document it. And it's essentially one of those like poverty porn mailers, but it's from like a literal mm. residential school in South Dakota. Like, oh, not good. Like this place is still existing 
it's called St. Joseph's Indian School. I'm on a rampage to carpet bomb their reputation uh, in all any and all of my circles. So here's my platform. Doing it here. So yeah, they send you like this poverty porn mailer. It got like this dream catcher made in China. It's like the mm. most disgusting colonialist, like like whitewashing of the past. They send this whole like letter that is like asking for your donations or whatever. And it's like, uh, they include like envelopes. You can put a check in and it, on the outside, it says to a Lakota child from Kelly, whatever, hmm. like my last name. It's so gross. It's so weird. And yeah, this place is like up and running, doing great. And like even a tiny little Google search will show you that there's obviously been allocations of sexual assault. Obviously it's like yeah. the front lines of genocide. That's what those mm-hmm. schools are for. I also learned that the lawyer for this place got a law passed in South Dakota recently, like in the 2010s, about how victims can only sue the perpetrator and not the institution that backed the perpetrator. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So it's like all sorts of fucked up. And I know my grandma donated to this place because I remember seeing the logo at her house and like they send you greeting cards being like peace on Mm -hmm. earth and goodwill to all men or whatever. Here's your Bible verse and some snowmen on the front. So yeah, I'm, I'm kind of like in the thick of figuring out and wanting more information around like complicity in settler colonialism and like literally funding it and how like banal all this settler fuckery is it's just like so everywhere and pervasive and people are just like fleeced like they just don't get it because they they want to be able to like oh i wrote this check for 50 dollars and now i'm not complicit in genocide anymore you know when you're literally a settler on stolen land while you're doing that so Anyway, I think I'm I'm curious about like my ancestors who were in Illinois in the 1860s and she was an indentured yeah. servant and from Ireland or something and an orphan and mm-hmm. then she's like living because Illinois in the 1860s is like front lines. Same with like Colorado yeah. at the time. Yeah. So I'm just like want to interrogate these people like what their deal was. And yeah, just curious about how that looked back in the day because I am starting to untangle how it looks now. Yeah. Which is not good. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah. So anyway, that's the that's the long form and I'll send you pictures because it is egregious. It's awful. Yeah. That's wild. And anyone stop donating to the State Joseph's Indian School. Oh my god. Fuck residential <laughs> schools. Jesus. I can't believe we still have to say that in 2023. <laughs> okay, let's move on. I can start. I'll take a deep <laughs> breath, Kelly. Oh question. my god. <laughs> Let's do a couple. Stop ranting. (laughs) What central question did the writer ask and how was it answered? Mm. I think the question was about like, I mean, the obvious answer is family lore. Yeah. And it's answered through a series of interviews and like the whole narrative is like the answer. Like there's, there's no like over there's no like one single question it's all like how these people lived and how they're currently living is like the answer I guess what would you say I would yeah I would agree with that and I also think like in some way it's like how your past influences not just like your future but like the future of like your whole family um, and just seeing that like play out like in their relationships and the way they decide to do things all that kind of stuff that's a much better answer I'm glad I I'm glad you answered that. (laughs) I don't know about that. (laughs) What alternative title would you give this book? Um, Living Wake. Never heard of that before, but I think it's a good title. Living Wake. Yeah, I'm not opposed to the idea. I think it's like, would be nice to hear people talk talk about you. And then they can talk shit about you when you're dead. (laughs) I'm not going to lie, though. All I could think of was um, The Fault in Our Stars. And at the end, when like... I don't remember the character's name, but when that boy, okay, so spoiler alert, but this book is super old, so I don't feel that bad. Um, the Fault in Our Stars by John Green. Um, but at the end, he, the like boy who's going to die because like they both have cancer. He's like, all right, I want you all to say what you would say to me at my funeral in front of me before I die. I forgot about this part. <laughs> I was like, what the hell? So they have like a living wake in that book? Kind of, Yeah. I just remember the movie with Ansel Elgort and Shailene Woodley, and I don't remember A Living Wake. But also, I don't remember the book either, so... It's funny, it's the only John Green book I've read. I have read it. It's the only John Green book I've read. I don't really love his books, which is fine. Um, 
although I've heard the Anthropocene reviewed is really good. Diana, I think actually does like that book. So um, I'm going to listen to it because I have it on audio, but I really like him on TikTok. If you follow him on TikTok, he's great. Um, and him and his brother, John, do some great stuff. And also our, his Hank, um, and also Hank has ulcerative colitis like me. So double cool. <laughs> you see, buddy. All right. Should we do another one? Let's do the last one. It says, what was your favorite passage? Oh, I don't have a quote off the top of my head, really. No. Um, I did like the part where Floor is like, like I think Una, Una and her partner, whose name I don't remember, are like getting ready to leave. And Floor like realizes that um, Una is pregnant. And for some reason, I really like that, that like Floor got this like satisfying like, oh, I know that Una, Una really wanted to have a baby. And she just like seemed very happy for her at the end. And it was like everything was nice and tied up. So it's not like a passage, but like that scene where like you could just tell Flora is very happy. Like I got to do this with my family, bring everyone together and see everyone I loved before I died. I like that. That was like an uplifting part of this book that did not have super a lot of uplifting moments. <laughs> yeah. Besides all of these like small moments where there's just like so many fucking well-crafted sentences in there that I like I didn't necessarily like put a pin in like bookmark on my app or whatever but I was like oh my god that is like Mm -hmm. it takes work to be this good at the craft of writing and I was like damn this person is good at writing I I think I will highlight the passage about the like how she describes the the magic and it's not like white people magic for lack of a better word Mm -hmm. I like that because it's like clearly the the book is aware of itself you know and is aware of the context that it's like kind of swimming in because yeah we do talk yeah that's what mostly what we talk about on the show is these like I mean not white people magic necessarily but these structures that are like more defined and the book is clearly like I am in this other tradition and it's situ it's like juxtaposing the two which I I love a little meta moment you know Thanks for listening to The Library Coven. We'll be back in two weeks for a discussion of Brooms by Jasmine Walls and Theo Duval. As always, we love to be in conversation with you magical folks. Let us know what you think of the episode, anything we miss, or just say hi by dropping a line in the comments or reaching out to us on Instagram at The Library Coven. And, you know, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Uh, if you would rate it and review it, that'd be cool. And it helps us reach other people. And also, if you just have a person who you want to send an episode to, maybe do that because word of mouth is the best way. And if you're able to support our labor financially, you can make a one-time donation to us on Coffee. You can support us monthly on Patreon or by shopping at our bookshop.org affiliate page. Until next time, stay magical. Stay magical.